Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Sid of the Commandment Keepers Church. We have a detailed lesson prepared for our brothers and sisters internationally. The title of today's lesson will be The Infiltration of the Church. The Infiltration of the Church. Brothers and sisters, the Most High have put a spirit on me to to shed light in dark places. Our people, most of our people, that's black people, Hispanic people, native people, we find ourselves where? We find ourselves in Catholicism or Christianity. That's where we find ourselves. Brothers and sisters, Christianity is the most dangerous religion there is. Above Buddhist, above Hinduism, above, above Islam, why? Because they actually make you believe that they deal with Christ. See, a Buddhist will tell you outright, we don't believe in Christ. He's just another man. A Muslim will tell you, we don't believe in Christ. He's just another man. However, Christians, Christians, brothers and sisters, Christians will have you believe that they actually believe in Christ. We're going to talk about a lot. We're going to go to a, a lot of topics today, brothers and sisters. There's a lot of their doctrines that we want to expose. Why? Because we, we just want to go into the Bible to show you the key things. There's core teachings that they taught us as Christians or Catholics that go directly against the Bible. Why? Because this is what's needed. Our people need help. Okay? We're fighting to stay asleep. We're fighting to stay asleep. And this is our part. Our part is to be able to go into the scriptures. And show you lie after lie after lie. And let the Holy Spirit do the rest. We're going to talk about speaking in tongues today. We're going to talk about who should and should not be in the pulpit today. We're going to talk about holidays today. It's all coming out today, brothers and sisters. It's all coming out today. Let's go to Isaiah 29 and 9. Let's go there, brothers and sisters. We're going to read Isaiah 29 in 9 through 11. Isaiah 29 and 9 reads, Stay yourselves in wonder. Cry ye out and cry. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord hath pulled out upon thee the spirit of deep sleep, and hath closed your eyes, the prophets and your rulers, the seers hath he cut. Brothers and sisters, according to Isaiah, the sin of our forefathers have done what? Have provoked the Most High to put a spirit of deep sleep on our people. The Bible is telling you, listen, this, isn't, this is not a, the physical drunkenness that our people are dealing with. This is spiritual intoxication. I want to read that again. Isaiah, the 29th chapter in the 9th verse, and it reads... Stay yourselves in wonder. Cry ye out and cry. They are drunken, but not with wine. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. You see that, brothers and sisters? Listen to verse 10. Isaiah 29 and 10 reads, For the Lord hath poured out upon, the, upon you the spirit of deep sleep. And have closed your eyes, 
the prophets and your rulers, the seers, hath he covered. Verse 11 reads, And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver unto one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. Brothers and sisters, according to verse 10, there's a spiritual slumber on our people. So the question is, how can we expect to awaken our people without a light of Christ? If we're asleep, that means the only, only thing that can awake us is light, right? Not only light, but patience, consideration, humility. Because why? What I discovered is a lot of times when we try to reveal the truth, sometimes we do it in an unskilled manner. We must consider the programming that took place during slavery. That's why we're going into this, brothers and sisters. It's spiritual. It's a spiritual slumber. See, it's not just the truth that, that it, it's not just the truth that they need. They need more than the truth. They need consideration. They need patience. They need humility. They need all of that. Christianity is highly satanic, brothers and sisters. And I, I you know, it pains me to have to say that because I grew up as a Christian. 90% of our families are in Christian church or Catholic church. We know that the conquistadors, we know that the Catholics took over all the South, you know, our Spanish speaking brethren, right? And then when it came to the Negroes, they got us through Christianity, Baptist, Pentecostal, so forth and so on. We're showing you that the Bible says this is only possible. Why? For the Lord have poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep. You see that? Deep sleep, brothers and sisters. When you're asleep, what do you need? You need light. You need light. Let us show you, brothers and sisters, because that this is the programming that took place because of slavery. And since we're talking about slavery, let's go to Deuteronomy 28. See this? Let's go to Deuteronomy 28 and 64. We're going to read 64 on. Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, in the 64th verse, and it reads, And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people, from the one end of the earth even unto the other. And there, and there thou shalt serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. And among these nations thou shalt find no ease. Neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest, but the Lord, but the Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart and a failing of eyes and a sorrow of mind. Does that sound like us, Israel? Listen to verse 64 again, brothers and sisters. Deuteronomy 28 and 64 reads, and the Lord shall scatter thee among all the people. From the one end of the earth, even unto the other. And there thou shalt serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. Even wood and stone. Brothers and sisters, what is this wood and stone? Wood is referring to who? It's referring to what? Christianity, the cross. 
stone represents what? Islam, the Kaaba stone. How they have to, you know, bow down to that rock. So according to Deuteronomy 28 and 64, the two religions, right, that would get our people is Christianity, Christianity or Catholicism. And then on the other side, what? Islam. Brothers and sisters, Christianity and Islam are the same religion. Islam is just, it's Christianity for, for Arabs. It's the same exact teachings. Now, why is this? Remember Esau, our brother. Remember, he sold his birthright. Remember him? He's jealous. He's envious, rather. Remember, Ishmael. Ishmael, 13 years older than Isaac. Remember that? Abraham's son. Hagar's son. Right? That's who the Arabs are today. See? So they both feel slighted. Because why? Instead of choosing, instead of uh, Abraham, or really it was the Most High's doing. Rather than choosing Hagar's son, Ishmael, the Most High chose Isaac. Instead of choosing the elder brother Esau, the Most High chose Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. See, so they both feel slighted, brothers and sisters. They both feel slighted. Let's go to Galatians. Follow us to the New Testament, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson, The Infiltration of the Church. We're at Galatians, the first chapter, the sixth through the eighth verse. Galatians 1 and 6 reads, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called, you, that called ye into grace unto another gospel. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ and would pervert the gospel of Christ and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Verse eight reads, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Brothers and sisters, our people was taught another gospel. Okay. There's no such thing as another true gospel. Listen to this. First, excuse me, Galatians 1 and 6 reads, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called ye into grace of Christ unto, the, unto another gospel. Verse 7 reads, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. You see that, brothers and sisters? Our people under captivity had no understanding that they were being taught a false philosophy of the enemy. We had no idea what they were doing. We were just worrying about day-to-day -day being beaten, whipped, picking peas, picking cotton. We weren't concerned with doctrine and what they were teaching out of the Bible. That, was, that seemed to, to be a small issue when you're serving another nation, when you're being beat, whipped, swung off trees. See, you're not thinking doctrine during this time. They knew. Once the whips and chains left, they would need the mental whips and chains. So they said, you know what? We need to control the doctrine. Okay? Even though they don't believe in Christ. Remember, they killed Christ. They knew that he, his doctrine was too strong to contend with. They knew this. 
So they said, what? We're going to have to absorb Christ's teachings and control it. We can't fight against it. We'll have to control it. We'll have to absorb it, take it in and say, you know what? We believe in Christ, but learn it this way. This is the Pope. (laughs) They don't believe in the Bible, but they needed to be able to control what you understood out of it. Because why? If you learned on your own, it was likely that the Holy Spirit would lead you to the truth. So what did they do? They set up theologian seminary colleges, right? They set up uh, schools for pastor, pastor wannabes, people who want to be pastors, right? And they taught them the doctrine that was against Christ, that was against the Bible. And then they sent, sent go ahead out there, Negroes. Peddle this, you know, peddle this doctrine in your community. Right? Follow us to Jeremiah, brothers and sisters. Follow us to Jeremiah. Old Testament. Jeremiah, the 11th chapter, the 16th through the 19th verse. Jeremiah 11 and 16 reads, The Lord called thy name a green olive tree, fair and of goodly fruit. With the noise of a great tumult, he hath kindled fire upon it, and the branches of it are broken. Verse 17 reads, For the Lord of hosts that planted thee hath pronounced evil against thee, for the evil of the house of Israel and of the house of Judah which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger and offering prayer or incense unto Baal. Now, brothers and sisters, why is he saying for the evil of the house of Israel and the house of Judah when we know Judah is in Israel? Brothers and sisters, after Solomon, the kingdoms were split. Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel. That was more of your Hispanic tribes or your native tribes, right? Like the Dominicans, the Puerto Ricans, the Native Americans, the Mexicans. They were part of the Northern Kingdom, right? The Cubans. And then you had Judah, the Southern Kingdom, which is Benjamin, Judah, and Levi, who are who? The, the Judah is your Negroes. Benjamin is the West Indies, right? Trinidad, Tobago, Jamaica. And then you had Levi. Who is Levi today? The Haitians. The Haitians are Levi. Remember, who was Levi? Levi was Moses. Levi was the priest. Look at them today. They have the same spirituality, but they're using it for voodoo. They're the same people. They're the same people. Let us read that again, because this text tells you he allowed them to come against us because we provoked them to anger. Let me read that again. Jeremiah 11 and 17 reads, For the Lord of hosts that planted thee hath pronounced evil against thee for the evil of the house of Israel and the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger and offering incense or prayer unto Baal. Verse 18 reads, And the Lord hath given me knowledge of it, and I know it. Then thou showed me these doings. Verse 19 reads, But I was like a lamb or an ox that is brought to the slaughter. 
And I know that they had devised devices against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with the fruit thereof. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be no more remembered. Now you see this, brothers and sisters, this is why we don't blame Gentiles for our captivity. Even though we identify their role in our servitude, the Bible tells you that we did this against ourselves. When you look at verse 19, brothers and sisters, verse 19 says, excuse me, when you look at verse 17, listen to it again, okay? Verse 17 reads, for the Lord of hosts that planted thee have pronounced evil against thee for the evil of the house of Israel and the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves, which they have done against themselves, which they have done against themselves. See, we did this against ourselves, brothers and sisters. So I don't blame the white man. Okay, because the white man is not strong enough, you know, devoid of spiritual intervention to put us into subjection. He could not subjugate us without God's help. Okay. See, so God said we did this to ourselves. See, this is now why we are where we are. Because why? We have Gentiles teaching God's people. Christianity. Never was there a time in the Bible. That you had Gentiles teaching Jews. Never. Our people have to wake back up. Our brothers have to wake back up and take the mantle. This is our book. Let us show you a couple of their deceptions. One of the core things that I saw uh, growing up in Christian church was what they call, especially in the, the black churches, right? It's called speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues. I don't know if you all are familiar with it. You probably are. Um, speaking in tongues is where they bust out in some foreign tongue, you know. <laughs> and they do this quite frequently. They do this quite frequently. I, I had family members do this, right? Just bust out. Let's deal with that. Let's give you the proper understanding on what that was, right? Because a lot of you listening to this, your grandmama did it, your mama did it. Your daddy, your granddaddy did it. The church, everyone in the church was doing it. Okay, well, let, let's see. What does a Bible have to say about speaking in tongues? Because what I discovered is that there are rules to regulate speaking in tongues. Let's see. Were the Christian church being regulated by these rules as it pertains to speaking in tongues? We're going to break it down today, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Genesis 11. Let's go to Genesis 11 and 1. This is the first thing you need to know. All right. We're going to take our time here, brothers and sisters. This is the first thing you need to know. We're here. Genesis 11 and 1. Now, we're going to break this down like a classroom, brothers and sisters. You need to know the theology of the Bible. Okay. There's a, there are core teachings in the Bible. There are her hermeneutics in the Bible. Okay, there's certain terminology in the Bible that you would need to understand to fight off these demons, right? To fight off these false prophets, to fight off these pastors, these wicked ministers of the enemy. 
So we're going to break it down, brothers and sisters, for anyone to learn. And you take this information that you learned today and you go to your pastor. You go to your mama. You go to your daddy. And what you'll find out is the people who are teaching the Bible don't really know the Bible. The only way they've been able to operate is because they know you don't know it. They know you're not reading it. See? So anyone sounds smart to a person who don't know anything. We're going to help today. We're going to do our part. Let's deal with this speaking in tongues thing. Let's find out what it is first. Okay? Go to Genesis 11 and 1. Genesis 11 and 1 reads, And the whole earth was of one language and one speech. Let me read that again. Genesis 11 and 1 reads, And the whole earth was of one language and one speech. This is during the time of the Tower of Babel. What you'll find out, brothers and sisters, is that tongues is another word for language in the Bible. Okay? Tongues and language is the same exact thing in the Bible. Now, a lot of people don't know this, so we have to break this down. Go to Genesis 10 to prove this. Language and tongues is the same word. We're going to Genesis, the 10th chapter. We're going to read verse 1 for context, and then we'll jump down to verse 5, okay? Genesis 10 and 1 reads, Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and unto them were sons born after the flood. Jump to verse 5. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, in every one after his tongue, in every one after his tongue, in every one after his tongue, after their families in their nations. Brothers and sisters, Genesis 10 and 1 is giving you the sons of Noah, right? Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And then in verse 5, it tells you that they were separated into their lands after their own tongue, which is after their own language, right? Let me read it again. Verse 5 says, By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue. See that? They, were, they went to their own lands after their own language. So let's put that out there first. Tongues is language. Okay, brothers and sisters. So speaking in tongues is supposed to actually be a language. Okay? Let us show you. Go to Zephaniah. We're going to treat it like a classroom today, brothers and sisters. No longer are we going to let our people be lied to by these devil worshipers. Let's go to Zephaniah chapter 3. And we're going to read verse 8 and 9, okay? Because why? We just showed you that the word language, which we read of in Genesis 11 and 1, is the same word as tongues, which you read of in Genesis 10 and 5. Document those scriptures, brothers and sisters. Please, document that. You need to see this. Here it is. We're at Zephaniah, the third chapter, the eighth and the ninth verse, and it reads, Therefore... Wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, unto the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation. 
even all my fierce anger for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. Verse nine reads, for then will I turn to the people a pure language. For then I will turn to the people a pure language that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. You see that brothers and sisters? He would return a pure language or a pure tongue. You see that? Brothers and sisters, they know. According to this text, let's deal with the context first. The Bible is telling you the Most High will return us to the original language, our original tongue when Christ comes back. Now, what I discovered when I studied captivity, when I studied colonialism, brothers and sisters, and you'll hear this out there. Language. The original tongue, wherever you're from, your original tongue, it holds on to your culture. So when you try to separate a people from their culture, you take away their language. Okay, you take away their tongue. And this is why you'll see Europeans in America saying, telling Hispanics not to speak Spanish, right? They'll tell them, you're in, you're in America, speak English. This is, this is colonialism one-on-one, brothers and sisters, to take the language. Because why there's a connection, there's a cultural connection in language or tongue in who you are. See? So once you start speaking English, you start thinking like an Englishman. Right? Notice this, brothers and sisters. Notice this. The ones who hold on to their tongue, hold on to their language. Right? They, they hold on to their culture. So that's why the Most High is saying in this particular text, he's going to return to us a pure tongue. Because guess what? That Hebrew they're dealing with right now, that's not Hebrew. That's Yiddish. <laughs> that's not the ancient Phoenician Hebrew. Okay? The ancient Phoenician Hebrew is not this European dialect they're dealing with today. It's also called the Paleo-Hebrew. Okay? Look that up. All right, brothers and sisters? In the Paleo-Hebrew... Or the what you would call ancient Phoenician Hebrew, the most high's name is Ahaya. Ahaya, which is I am. It's Ahaya Asha Ahaya. I am that I am. That's A H A Y A H. A H A Y A H. Ahaya. Ahaya Asha Ahaya. I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, to go and purchase a JPS Tanakh. A Jewish public uh, publication society, the Torah or the Tanakh. If you're a scholar, you know what Torah and Tanakh is. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. The Tanakh is the prophets, the Old Testament. So you can get a English, you can get a English Hebrew translation on one side. It's Hebrew. The other side is English. And when you look at Exodus three fourteen. When Moses asked the Most High, clearly, what is your name? In the English version, they put Ahiah. They didn't even put I am that I am. They put what I am that I am is in Hebrew, which is Ahiah. The Most High's name is Ahiah. And guess what? The natives knew it. They used to, Ahiah, Ahiah, Ahiah. They were saying that. You can find videos out there on YouTube in black and white. Of our brethren, the natives, calling on the highest name. The most highest name is not Jehovah. Jehovah is another name for the devil, brothers and sisters. 
guarantee. Jehovah or Yehovah, it means God of wickedness. Yah means God. Hova or Hava means wickedness. God of wickedness. Look that up, brothers and sisters. Now, I don't want to get off the beaten path because why? We're talking about tongues today. We're talking about speaking in tongues. We're going to show the deception, the deceptiveness that Christians have perpetrated. The church has been the church has been infiltrated, brothers and sisters, and we'll prove that. The first thing we needed to show was what that tongues is another word for language. So when the Bible, when it talks about speaking in tongues, it's actually talking about speaking in a in a language. It's a language. Like if I'm English and somebody starts speaking in Spanish, that's called tongues. They're speaking in another language. If somebody starts speaking in Japanese, that's called tongues. Okay? So tongues is an actual language on the earth. <laughs> okay? We'll prove that. <laughs> when you're speaking in tongues, you're actually speaking another language. It's actually a, a real language. Let's prove that. Let's go to Acts, brothers and sisters. We're going to the day of Pentecost, or what Hebrews call first fruits. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read, uh, we're going to read 1 through 7. I need you to listen to this because this is when the Jews, right? These were all Jews that lived in different nations. They were still Jews. They received the gift of tongues. Now, we're going to break down what the gift of tongues is according to God, according to the Bible. Not this madness that Christians are dealing with, this confusion that Christians are dealing with, okay? We're going to break this down. Let's go to Acts, the second chapter, the first verse. We're going to read it straight through. Acts 2 and 1 reads, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Verse 3 reads, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. I'm going to read that again for emphasis. Acts 2 and 3 reads, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each each of them. Verse 4 reads, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now remember, brothers and sisters, you can replace the word tongues for language in the Bible. So this actually says, and I'm going to read it with the word language because you'll understand it better. Acts 2 and 4 reads, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other languages as the spirit gave them utterance. Okay. Verse five reads, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. So brothers and sisters, here it is. This is a holy day in the Bible. We celebrate holy days. Okay. We don't celebrate holidays. We celebrate holy days, days actually in the Bible. This is Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. Okay, so this is 50 days after the Passover. We celebrate the Passover. Anyone interested in learning about the holy days, uh, I would encourage you to go look at Leviticus 23. 
and email us, matter of fact, and we can get you a, a calendar. Also, brothers and sisters, this is sidebar. Our email address was commandeered for the last few months by Hotmail. They blocked us out of our email where we couldn't check mail. We couldn't respond to mail or any of that. We just got we just got our email back, brothers and sisters. We understand how, you know, how the devil works and how when you're dealing with these platforms. So, brothers and sisters, we may, you know, I think what we'll do is we'll 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 uh, create a new email address where we can have more than one and we'll have, you know, the administration deal with that. But I wanted to put that out there over the last few months. They blocked us out of our own email address. Right. And we tried to take, you know, steps. We're back in now. We're back in now. So I apologize, brothers and sisters, if, you know, you've emailed us or I was in conversation with people and it, it appeared that we just we went dark. Uh, we were not neglecting you. I could assure you we we were not neglecting. The devil is trying to block our communication, brothers and sisters. But all praises be to the most high. We're back. We're back, brothers and sisters. Right. OK, let's jump back in. I'm going to read Acts 2 and 2. Acts 2 and 2 reads, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5 reads, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. So brothers and sisters, it's telling you that these were Jews from different nations, right? So I can be a black man who live in England. I can be a black man who live in America. I can be a black man who lived in China. I can be a black man who lived in Japan. I'm still black no matter where I am. But if I live in Japan, I probably speak Japanese. If I live in China, I may speak Chinese. You see this? If I live in Mexico, I may speak Spanish. So here it was. You had Jews. It's telling you these were black men, but they lived in other nations. So what did they do? They traveled to Jerusalem for this holy day. All men were required to travel brothers and sisters. Okay. So here it was. We traveled to Jerusalem from all the different nations. Now, common sense would tell you that these brothers will be speaking different languages. Okay. They know why they're there, but they speak different languages. Let me read that. Acts two and five reads, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, excuse me. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Let me read that again. Verse six reads, now when, now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. 
verse 7 reads, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, behold, are not these all Galileans? And how, excuse me, and how hear we every man in our own tongue where we are born? So what's going on here, brothers and sisters? The Holy Spirit have fallen down on these brothers and they all can understand each other. Now, they could not understand each other because they were speaking different languages. You see this, brothers and sisters? They're asking, like, how can we understand these brothers? Aren't these Galileans? <laughs> Don't they speak Galilean? Why is it that we can understand them in our own tongue, in our own language? See, this is what happened, brothers and sisters. The gift of God, the Holy Spirit, came down on all these brethren who spoke different language, languages. And when they spoke to each other, they heard each other in their own language. That's as if I had a brother before me that spoke Spanish. But when he's speaking to me, it's being translated into my ear as English. You see that? This was the, this was the gift of the Holy Ghost, brothers and sisters. This was the first time the speaking of tongues happened, brothers and sisters. This was the very first time on this mass level. This was at the day of Pentecost, or what the Bible calls first fruits. Now, the first thing we had to deal with is that what? Language is tongues. Tongues is another word for language. And it tells you that these brothers were confused because the Holy Spirit came down on them and they started to understand other languages. I'm going to read that again. And I want you to take a look at this yourself. Acts 2 and 5 reads, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. They were confused because that every man heard them speak in his own language, in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Verse 8 reads, And how hear we every man in our own tongue? Further proof that tongue and language is the same word. Listen to that again. Pull this up. Acts 2 and 8 reads, and how hear we every man in our own tongue, in our own tongue, where we were born. Mm. See that? They're asking, how can we understand them in our language when we know these brothers don't speak our language? See that? So the first thing we need to establish is that tongues is a language. Okay? It's a, a real language. <laughs> See, it's an actual language on the earth. It's not some some hoobla that they're dealing with. OK, this is an actual language. That's if if I start breaking out speaking Spanish, <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying because I'm speaking a language I don't know. But the Holy Spirit has taken over my vessel. See, this is what tongues is. It's an actual language. So now if the most high put that spirit on me and I'm in, let's say I'm in Mexico and I start breaking out in scriptures or, or prayer, all these brothers around me who speak Mexican are understanding me, even though I don't understand. <laughs> See, 
That's the gift. Paul had this gift. Paul had this gift. He was able to to pick up on languages quickly. He would go to certain areas and then in two weeks he had the language down pat. He understood it. It tells you he spoke in many languages, including the tongues of angels. Okay. So when Christians start busting out with all this, listen, (laughs) tongues is a language. According to God, according to Acts 2, tongues is another word for language. See, so out of every nation, they heard each other speak in their own language. Let me show you something. Let's go to first Corinthians. Let's go to first Corinthians, brothers and sisters, 13 and one, because Paul, Paul had that gift. First Corinthians 13 and one reads, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am becoming as sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. Brothers and sisters, notice he's using the word tongue instead of language. First Corinthians 13 and one reads, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels. So he's saying, I can speak the language of angels and men. You see that, brothers and sisters? This is where he goes into the gifts. He's telling you that gift. So we have brothers and sisters who understand multiple languages. That's the gift of tongues. Okay? That's the gift of tongues. That a sister can just understand Spanish and translate it into English. Okay? Or she can understand French and translate it into English. That is called the gift of tongues. It's not what Christians are saying where you just, you bust out and no! And you just start spitting and convulsing and all this. That's not the gift of tongues. Tongues is an actual language. And there's rules with this particular gift. Speaking in tongues is real. But it's not what they're doing, brothers and sisters. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. 14 and 1. Just one chapter over. Okay. We're going to read 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 reads, Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. So, brothers and sisters, when any time a person says you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you don't speak in tongues, you take them right here. Because Paul is telling you there's many spiritual gifts, right? And above speaking in tongues, rather you prophesy. Prophesy is to break down the scriptures. It doesn't mean to prognosticate the future. Prophecy means to be able to break down text, the Bible. And then he tells you in verse 2, a man who speaketh in an unknown tongue... He speaketh not unto men, but unto God. So most tongues, brothers and sisters, is a physical language on the earth. But then you have that that language of angels, which Paul talked about, or language unto God, which other men cannot, they can't deal with that because they don't have that gift to be able to understand the the language of uh, angels. So he's telling you most tongues are supposed to be a language on the earth, but, but 
there is, there is a language out there which is directly unto God, which the man or woman whom is is speaking it doesn't know it. Okay, so that is possible. Let me read it again. First Corinthians 14 and 2 reads, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man speaketh, excuse me, for no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Verse 13 reads, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. So here it is, brothers and sisters, it's telling you that prophecy is the greatest gift. Why? Because you can edify to a brother or to a sister. When a brother's speaking in an unknown tongue, that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help anybody because none of us know what he's saying. He's just trying to seem deep. So the Bible's telling you the greatest gift is not speaking in tongues. It's prophesying. It's to be able to break down scripture. Okay? Because why? Breaking down the scripture can help a brother. Or sister. Going into tongues doesn't help anybody. Especially if no one knows what you're saying. Look at verse 4, brothers and sisters. Because there's rules. There's rules with speaking in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14 and 4 reads, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Verse 5 says, excuse me, verse 5 reads, I would that ye all speak in tongues, but rather that ye prophesy. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh in tongues, except he interpret, that the church may receive edifying. Brothers and sisters, look at this. He's saying that prophecy is the greatest gift unless what you're speaking in tongues can be interpreted. You see that, brothers and sisters? Take a look at this, brothers and sisters. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 reads, Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. You hear that, brothers and sisters? He said, listen, if I come to you speaking in tongues... How does that profit you? Hmm? Brothers and sisters, jump back to 1 Corinthians 14 and 13. 1 Corinthians 14 and 13. Now, brothers and sisters, chapter 14 is what I call the chapter of tongues or the chapter of language. So I encourage you to read this entire chapter for the sake of time. I'm going to just get right to the point. We're at 1 Corinthians 14 and 13, and it reads, Wherefore? Let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. You see what Paul is saying here? He's saying, if I start speaking in an unknown tongue, I need to pray for understanding. That's why it says my, my understanding is unfruitful, right? Now look at the rules, brothers and sisters. Jump down to verse 27 and 28. This is the most important part. These are the rules or the regulations. And nobody, including your pastor, your mama, or anyone else, can go against these rules. 1 Corinthians 14 and 27 
These are regulations for how to use that gift. That gift must be regulated in the house of God. 1 Corinthians 14 and 27 reads, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Mm. Brothers and sisters, let me read that again. Because see, they never taught us this. The Bible is telling you, if you bust out in an unknown tongue, there has to be an interpreter. Okay? There has to be an interpreter there. Because why? We don't understand. God could be saying that building is going to burn down in two minutes. If none of us understand that, then what's the point in you doing this? And guess what? The Bible is telling you, you can't interpret for yourself. Because if you can interpret for yourself, why didn't you just say it in a language in which we understood? <laughs> See? Let me put that out there. 1 Corinthians 14 and 27 reads, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So according to the Bible, you could not bust out in an unknown tongue in the midst of church. Okay, because number one, it looks scary to children. <laughs> okay, and if you don't know what you're saying, you could be speaking the devil's tongue. Because most of the tongues that I heard was Latin, which is Satan's tongue. We know that, right? The Bible is telling you, sisters couldn't just bust on out. Listen, if nobody in here can interpret what you're saying, you got to be quiet. Or you got to, they would carry you out of there, <laughs> okay? Because why? If everyone break out in tongues and we have new people coming in, Right. To, to visit the church and they see all this busting out and convulsing, speaking unknown tongues. They're never going to come back because it's confusing. And I can openly confess my mother did this and it was scary to me to be walking in the, you know, the market and then she to bust out in this, you know, these tongues. OK, if you don't know what you're saying, then you could be saying what the devil is telling you to say. Because even the Christians that I know who do it, they always say they don't know what they're saying. See, so we know that tongues is a real thing, but it's not being regulated as it ought to, brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 27 and 28 are the most important verses in this entire chapter. Because these are the rules, the regulations, the legislation as it pertains to speaking in tongues. I'm going to read it again. First Corinthians 14 and 27 reads, If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or by the most, excuse me, or at the most by three, and that by course and let one interpret. Verse 28 reads, But if there be no interpreter, but if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. You see that, brothers and sisters? You see that? 
And guess what? Guess where I see this at most, at least when I was going to Christian church, the women pastors. It's the women doing this, brothers and sisters. Right. So one brother or sister, they would bust out this week and then they would somebody else would see it and say, oh, you know what? Next week going to be my turn because I saw how they got attention. They started running around the whole church and convulsing on the ground. And all of this stuff that you see in Christian church is theatrics, brothers and sisters. None of that is biblical at all, especially busting out speaking unknown tongues amongst other people. That was against the law. If, you're, if there's no interpreter, if there isn't a brother in here to say, this is what the brother's saying. He's speaking Greek up in here. This is what the sister is saying. She's speaking Haitian up in here. If there's no one there to interpret, then you have to go home, sister, with that. You have to go home, brother, with that. Okay? Because we don't know what you're saying. And since we don't know what you're saying, you might as well keep it to yourself. Because that's what God said. See? 1 Corinthians 14, 27 and 28 say, without an interpreter, you must go home. So if you, during crisis times, if you bust out like that, they would escort you out of the building. Okay? Sister or brother, you, you got to go home with that, okay? See, there were rules, there were regulations. See? And where I see this, this is the Christian pastors. The Paula Whites, the, the Joyce Myers, the Juanita Bynums, all of them. Brothers and sisters, you know it, no woman is supposed to be on a pulpit, okay? Women pastors are against God. Let me put that out there, okay? Women ministers are against God, okay? Matter of fact, let's go to the scripture that every Christian pastor I've ever said this to has used, okay? Let's go to Joel, brothers and sisters. This is the scripture that they use to say, well, women can be pastors. Now, I want you to listen to this and tell me, is that what this text is saying? Okay? We're at Joel, the second chapter, the 28th verse, and it reads, and it shall come to pass afterward, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men, your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. You see, that this is the scripture they use. Look it up, brothers and sisters. Look up our women pastors aloud and they're going to take you right to Joel 2 and 28. And I'm going to read it again. Joel 2 and 28 reads, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Brothers and sisters, this particular text is a prognostication that the Holy Spirit would be on all people. Because why? When you read in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit wasn't on all people. Okay? It did, it, the Holy Spirit never went in. It never made a home inside. The Bible tells you that the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God came upon David. It came upon Samuel. It came upon, upon Gideon. You see that, brothers and sisters? So there was a difference. 
people, the Holy Spirit wasn't readily available in the Old Testament. Okay. The anointings, when it tells you about anointing in the Old Testament, that oil represents the Holy Spirit. This particular text is not saying that a woman can go teach. He's just saying that after Christ, after Christ died and is resurrected, that all people will be able to have the Holy Spirit, including women. This don't have anything to do with you getting up, you know, on the pulpit, sister. I'm going to read it again, because what we like to do. What I like to do, brothers and sisters, is go to the scriptures I know they're going to take you to, to stump you. We go there first. We go there first so you can get the proper understanding. So when they do go there, you're not you're not shaken. The scripture every woman pastor will go to or any person claiming that being a woman pastor is allowed is going to go to Joel 2 and 28. And it reads, and it shall come to pass afterward. That I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Now, brothers and sisters, does that text say a woman can, can be a leader of a church, that she can be a pastor of a church? Hmm? Does it say that? Let's go to First Corinthians because we're going to these are, we're going to pull out all of their hypocrisy, brothers and sisters. If we pull out all of the evil that's going on, all the misrepresentation of the Bible, all the negligence, hopefully our people can wake up and say they're not dealing with the Bible at all. They're not following the Bible at all. Go to First Corinthians. 14 and 33, brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians 14 and 33 reads, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Verse 34 reads, Let your women keep silence in the church. Let your women keep silence in the church. Let your women keep silence in the church. For it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. This New Testament, the Bible says women weren't even allowed to speak in the church. Okay, during the time of Christ. So how then, if they're not allowed to speak, are they on the pulpit? <laughs> See, the Bible has regulations. Now, look at this. This is right after... It talks about uh, interpreting tongues. Why? Because it was women that started to bust out in tongues, <laughs> you know, to show deepness. So he said, listen, I'm not the author of confusion. So number one, you better have an interpreter if you start speaking an unknown language. And sisters, you have to be quiet, sister. Okay, if you, if you need to know something, you ask at home. You ask your man at home. Okay, or you ask the pastor at home, but women weren't to be talking in church because that was the place where men were getting directions to lead their family. And sisters know they get emotional and, and all that. <laughs> so they'll start, you know, one scripture will come out and they'll talk for 10, 10, 15 minutes and jump from story to story to story. So God knows that about our sisters, our sisters, their brain functions differently. 
Men can focus on one thing at a time. Sisters are blessed to be able to multitask. And because of their ability to multitask and how they think, God said women must keep quiet in the church. See that? So if women were not allowed to speak in church, how are they allowed to be a pastor? See? Now, I understand. Nowadays, I believe sisters will be able to talk, you know, to a certain extent in church. All right. But not to, you know, carry on and, and carry it off. You have grace. If a sister want to ask something and all that, that's fine. We're showing you in the Bible. It says women are not allowed to be pastors. They're not allowed to be ministers. Why? Because then who is your husband? Who's your husband? The assistant pastor? And any time I've seen a woman pastor, her husband is like a he's cowering off into the corner. He's standing behind her. See that? When the man is the leader. Sister, I can't even attend your church. I had to tell a sister that. A sister invited me to church many years ago. And uh, I discovered that it was a woman pastor. And I'm like, sister, I, you know, I appreciate it. But no. <laughs> no. Okay, that sister need to sit her behind down. Because why? How are you going to have a sister up in the pulpit with a face full of makeup and all this? Eyebrows, eyelashes, lipstick, all that. Like chest pushed up to her chin. Like sister, you ain't here for that. There's no way that a sister would not be concerned with how she looked. That doesn't exist. There's no time in a woman's life where she doesn't care how she's viewed. So if a sister get up on the pulpit, she's going to care what she looks like. That means she's coming in with makeup, with lipsticks, with eyeliner, with eyelashes, with foundation. We're not here for that, sister. Sit down and let a man get up there. So I would never attend a church where there's a woman pastor. If anything, that sister need to, to sit herself down and say, you know what? God have told me that my husband is supposed to be in this position and I'm going to support him. Okay, now I now I support you, sister. Look at all the women pastors out there. Very masculine. Domineering. Look at the Joyce Myers. See? Look at the Juanita Bynums. Look at the Helen Baylors. Look at the Paula Whites. Do you see feminine there? And no truth ever comes out when these women pastors are up there. What deep truths are coming out? What prophecy? What revelation is coming out? Let's be real. Because why? Women are perfect in their position. So women have a position and it's not that one. Okay? Men have to stand up and get their righteous power back. Brothers have to stop going to these churches with women pastors. You're supposed to be the pastor, brother. Now, I'm not chauvinist. I'm, I'm none of that. Okay. I'm not sexist or anything. I'm a Bible man. And the Bible says women are not allowed to be pastors. They're not allowed to have authority in the church. They're not allowed to teach. Now, some people say, well, Brother Sid, are you saying women can't teach? They can't teach the Bible to men. 
okay, in a structured environment. Women are some of the greatest teachers. They, my greatest teachers, you know, in school were women because they have the patience. But as it pertains to the Bible, they're not allowed to teach men. They teach children. That's fine. But you can't come into a, a structured environment with men and stand up before them and teach them God's word. It's not going to happen. It would never happen during crisis time. Okay. So we're just showing you that there's rules, there's regulations on how you operate in church. Okay. Now, people may hate us for bringing this out. Listen, I love you, sister. I do. And that's why I'm telling you to step down before God, for the wrath of God fall upon you. Because you're in debt, you're in direct conflict of what his word says. And this is New Testament. All the disciples were men. That was on purpose. Ezekiel says the flock of my pasture is men. You see that? So sisters are perfect in their position. Their position is administration. Okay. When it comes to this. They can deal with the flyers and the event planning, all that. Sisters, the sisters in our church, they're great at event planning and all that. Making flyers, sending out reminders, the newsletter, all that. That's sisters. That's their, that's their range right there. But as it pertains to teaching, that's for a man. Okay? Let me go to 2 Timothy. Excuse me. Let me go to 1 Timothy. Let me go to 1 Timothy, brothers and sisters. Let's go to 1 Timothy 2 and 11 through 14. 1 Timothy 2 and 11, and it reads, Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in transgression. You see that, brothers and sisters? The women are supposed to be silent in church. Okay, because it's God's word is coming out, sister. We don't need to hear much from you right now. Okay? We don't need you to be emotional or any of that. We need you to be quiet, sister. Okay? And if a sister have a problem with that, then we already see the pride that's there. The independence that's there. Independence is against God. Pride is against God. But if a sister look at this and say, well, nah, I should be able to say whatever I want up in church. What sisters was doing that in the Bible? What type of feminine, what type of sister was that that would be saying that? See, the Bible say for a sister, one of her greatest strengths is to know when to be quiet. Okay, because why? Nobody, no man likes a mouthy woman. Sisters don't even like mouthy women. This is one of the things we have to work on with our sisters. Is learning when to be quiet. The Bible tell you that, sister. That your great, one of your greatest strength is not only your submission, but when to, you knowing when to close your mouth. 
Trust me. A lot of the issues that, that come up with men and all that is because a sister just wouldn't be quiet. She just had to get the last word. Sister, you can cut it off. If he's doing all too much, just don't say anything. Don't say anything. That's wisdom, sister. Wisdom is when to be quiet. Because he's a man. And nobody, no man, wants a mouthy woman. So I want to put that out there. Sisters have to know when to be in subjection. Because this world, this society has put women in charge. When you come back to the Bible, women are in subjection. I'm going to read it again. 1 Timothy 2 and 11 reads, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman, the woman being deceived, was in transgression. So according to the Bible, according to Paul, he's telling you that Adam was created first. Okay? That means Adam is the leader. All right? It also tells you what? That the woman was deceived. Adam was not deceived. Adam knew exactly what he was doing. He just decided to do the wrong thing. However, the woman, she, she was innocent party in this. Okay, she she thought she was doing the right thing. She was actually deceived. Adam was not deceived. Okay, <laughs> Adam knew exactly what he was doing. Eve did not. So we're not here to blame sisters and all that. We we're not here to do that. We understand that sisters are the weaker vessel. Okay. Now, when you study the Bible, anything that comes from you, you have to take care of. You have to provide for women. Woman comes from man. So anything that comes from you. You have to provide for. It's just like children. Children come from you. You provide for them. Woman comes from man. Which means she must be provided for. Okay. So we just wanted to show you that these Christians. Have any Christians. Any of the Christian brothers or sisters. On this broadcast. Have you heard these scriptures before? Did the Christian pastor tell sisters this? Hmm. We just wanted to put that out there. We just wanted to put that out there, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Revelations. Let's go to Revelations 2 and 20. Revelations 2 and 20 through 23. Revelations 2 and 20 reads, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou suffereth that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent for their deeds. What's going on here? Brothers and sisters, in Revelations, the second chapter, he's going to the seven churches and he's telling each one of the churches the things that he likes about the church and the things he dislikes about the church. And when he got to the church of Thyatira, he said that you suffer this woman Jezebel 
to teach. The spirit of Jezebel is a spirit in which they refuse to submit. In fact, they hate men. They have something against men. That's the spirit of Jezebel. Sisters need to go read up on Jezebel. Where she had a husband, you know, who was in authority, but she controlled him. Right? In fact, she tried to kill Elijah. Okay? That spirit of Jezebel is quick mouth, is sharp tongued, a lack of submission, a lack of phenomenity, a, a lack of, you know, of lack of modesty. See, this woman is out of control, clamorous, loud, unsubmissive. See that? Let's go here. Why? Because we're talking about sisters in the church being in subjection. When you look in the Christian church, there's nothing but women there. There's no men. The men have left the church. Why? Because there's no structure. There's no order. There's no law. All the things that attract men, which is structure, which is legislation or rules. This is why men join the military. Okay? They need that structured environment. So when they go in the church and it's a bunch of women running everything, then it becomes a problem for a man. Just naturally. It doesn't feel right. So in the Bible, it's telling sisters, listen, you have to stay silent, sister. Okay? We're not saying you can't speak at all in today's church, but you have to know, you know, the Bible really doesn't want women doing a lot of socializing in church. While the, while the Bible is open. So everything, if you learn about how the sisters were to operate in the church, it was in total subjection. It was in total humility. Let us show you. There's a certain way she's supposed to dress in church according to the New Testament. That same Paul that Christians love to go to, do they pull these scriptures out of Paul? Let's go there. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11 and 4. There's a dress code in the church for men and women. Did Christians ever tell you this? First Corinthians. Let's start at verse three. First Corinthians 11 and three reads, but I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Verse 4 reads, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Let me read that again. Verse 4 reads, every man praying or prophesying with his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Verse 5 reads, but every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says when the Bible is out, praying or prophesying, reading the Bible, a man is, not, is supposed to have his head uncovered. He's not supposed to have on a hat. He's not supposed to have on a do-rag. Okay, his head is supposed to be uncovered. And sisters in church, or when the Bible is out, when you're praying or reading the word, the Bible says your head must be covered, sister. Okay, you have to put a scarf on your head. 
You have to put a, I don't care if you put a bonnet on your head, sister, but your head must be covered. Why? Because it's a sign of respect. It's a sign of respect, sister. It's a, it's a sign of subjugation, that you're in subjection, sister. Okay? And guess what? The sisters who won't do this, you already know, they're not in subjection. <laughs> they're not in subjection. Because guess what? All the sisters in our church, you know, that's been in our church and baptized members, they're covered. Okay? Because that's what the scripture says. That's part of us being Hebrews. Okay? I'm going to read that again. 1 Corinthians 11 and 4 reads, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Now, brothers and sisters, remember in verse three, it said the head of the man was Christ, right? And the head of the woman was the man. Now, listen to verse four again. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Who is his head? Christ. You see that? So it's saying if he have his physical head covered, he dishonored his spiritual head, which is Christ. It says for a sister, every woman that prayeth or prophesied having her head, her physical head covered, dishonor her spiritual head, which is her husband. And if she don't have a husband, that's Christ. It says, listen, if a sister don't want to be covered, then shave her head. Okay. And if it's if it's a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, then cover up, sister, because why? We're not supposed to be in here seeing your hair, sister. You're supposed to be modestly dressed. Okay? We don't need to see long hair, flowing hair, and curl. We don't need to see that up in church, sister. It's the house of God. See? So women were not supposed to show their hair in public. In church, rather. Okay, you and your house or whatever the case is, yeah, that's fine. But sisters know that hair is a part of their attract their attractiveness. At least they believe so. Because that's why they're spending all the money on the hair. So they know, they believe they're more attractive with certain hairstyles. So believe it or not, your hair is a part of your attractiveness more times than not. More times than not. That's why God is saying, have your head covered in church. Okay? Because we don't need men admiring your hair. We don't need that. See? So in the Bible, a woman's head was supposed to be high and tight. You weren't allowed to have long hair down your back. You could have it, but not show it. Because what was happening? Sisters were trying to show their length up in church. So they had their head covered, but they would have the hair going down the back. This is what our sisters do. This is what our sisters do. So the hair had to be high and tight and you know, in a bun or something with something covering it. Because why? We don't need men admiring you at church for your hair, sister. And the people who have a problem with that, the sisters that have a problem with that, we see there's some vanity there. That you're unwilling to cover your head. 
Why is it so hard to cover your hair, sister? You're too concerned with your hair. And God knew that. That's why he put this in place. If you're unwilling to cover your head, that's the proof of why sisters should not be teaching. Because you're concerned with your hair. <laughs> see that? You see? See, we're pulling it all out today because we wanted to show you what? We wanted to show you that the Christians are not following the Bible. Lie after lie after lie after lie. Okay? We just wanted to do what? We wanted to come before you and point out some of these fallacies. We wanted to point out some of the lies, some of the hypocrisy, and prove to all people, not just our people, but all people, they do not follow the Bible. New or Old Testament. Christianity is a satanic religion. They're just using their name of Christ. Because why? They know people will trust them. See, they're against Christ. They're against the entire Bible, New Testament and old, because everything we pulled out today. New Testament. By Paul, the same author that they all go to Romans and, 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 and Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians. We dealt with Paul today. OK. We're not done, brothers and sisters, we have more. Why? This is the only way. We know how to free our people. It's the only way to take off the shackles, brothers and sisters. And that's to slap you in the face with the truth. To point out all the fallacies within Christianity. This religion, this demonic religion that has had us shackled for centuries. With no improvement. Spirituality is a law, as, at, a, at an all-time low right now. So I don't fault our sisters. I don't fault the brothers. Because our sisters, especially, they've been deceived. They don't know. They haven't been taught. Okay? As a man, as a leader, as a teacher, I, I do what? I hold who responsible? The shepherd. The shepherd is responsible. Let us show you this. Go to Matthew 9 and 35. Matthew 9 and 35 reads, And Christ went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Verse 36 reads, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. As sheep Having no shepherd. You see that? So this is how I view our people. I view our people as sheep with no shepherd. Okay? You can only hold them so responsible. Right? Because they've been deceived. Our people are very trusting. Our people are very trusting. Okay? Followers brothers and sisters because we're not done we will pull no punches today because why there is a slumber a spiritual slumber on our people and if if even one person wakes up today if one person wakes up spiritually today based on the truth that we're bringing out today based on the lie after lie after lie 
Okay? Because why? What are we doing? We're going to scriptures that are easy to be understood. And we're going to send you back to your pastors. Okay? We're going to send you back to your bishops. We're going to send you back to your ministers to challenge them, brothers and sisters. Our church, we teach on a scholarly level. Okay? We don't believe in religion. We believe in the Bible as a history book. See, the Most High didn't give us religion, brothers and sisters. Our people have to walk away from Christianity. I am a Jew. We are Jews who believe in Christ. Okay? So, physically, my nationality is a Jew. I am an Israelite. Some people would like to say Messianic Jews. Listen, I don't... Listen. Okay, I don't want to deal with those terms. I believe in Christ. Okay, I believe our people are the Hebrew Israelites. I don't need to be a part of a religion for that. And we're going to show you why. Because when you put that title on yourself, you have to believe their doctrines. Let's talk about holidays, brothers and sisters. Let's talk about holidays. Let's talk about holy days. Okay, we know holidays, I and Y are synonymous. Holidays are pagan. Brothers and sisters, without any shadow of a doubt. So I don't want to deal with that right now. Let's deal with the holy days. Let's deal with the holy days, okay? Let's deal with the holy days. Why? Because what you need to see, brothers and sisters, is that according to God in the Bible, we're supposed to celebrate the holy days, okay? Follow us, brothers and sisters. Because why? What happens? What we like to do is take you to the scriptures that they're going to take you to to deceive you. When you ask your pastor, right, or you ask your father, your grandfather, your mother, your aunt, your uncle, when you ask them why they don't celebrate the holy days contained of in the Bible, like, you know, Passover, amongst all the other ones, they'll take you to this scripture. Colossians 2 and 16 reads, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is Christ. See, so they'll take you there. Look, you can't judge me on meat if I want to eat pork, right? You can't judge me if I want to celebrate Christmas. You can't judge me if I don't want to operate on the Sabbath, if I don't want to observe the Sabbath. See, this is what they'll go, brothers and sisters. This is where they'll go. Let me read it again. Colossians 2 and 16 reads, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, right? But the body is Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is not saying that you're not held to operate or observe these particular days. What you would have to what you would have to know is, brothers and sisters, what is judgment in the Bible? Right? If you were working on the Sabbath in the Old Testament, what happened? If you were caught sleeping with a man's wife in the Old Testament, what was the judgment for that? If you were caught eating pork, in the Old Testament, there was a judgment for that. And that was death. You see that? <laughs> see, when it says, let no man therefore judge you, it's saying no man can kill you. 
Okay. Even if you break the Sabbath, even if we catch you, you know, you know, being a whoremonger out there, nobody has the right to kill you. Why? Because Christ laid down his life. So you have grace. Now, grace doesn't mean license to sin, but he's saying, I don't have the right or no other man have the right to take your life from you based on a sin in the Old Testament. See, so this is where they'll take you. See, let no man therefore judge you. What is this saying? Brothers and sisters, this is talking about not holidays, but holy days. So if we don't celebrate the holy days in the Bible the same exact way, for example, Hebrews, Israelites, I'm one, we celebrate the Passover. Now, in the Old Testament, they put blood on the doorpost. We don't do that. You see? So he's saying, a man can't judge you <laughs> for not keeping it the same way they kept it in the Old Testament. Okay? As long as you observe the holy day, it may not be the same. You may not eat lamb. You may be a vegetarian or something like that. Okay? See? So they'll use this scripture to say what? You can't judge me for not keeping the holy days. You can't judge me for not keeping the Sabbath. You can't judge me for not or for eating pork, crab, shrimp, lobster. Wrong, brother. That's not what this is saying. You would first need to go find out what judgment is according to God. See, what Christians have done is they've what Christians have done is they've convinced other people that correction is judgment. Correction and judgment are two different things. Okay? <laughs> Correction means I, I have the right to say, brother, you're wrong. Okay? Stepping out on your wife is wrong, brother. Okay? Working on the Sabbath is wrong, brother. Sister, dressing like that with a lack of modesty is wrong, sister. That's not judging you. That's correcting you. Judging you is saying you deserve to die. See? So if it's a homosexual, you know, we can't kill homosexuals, even though in the Old Testament, they would have been cut. You see that? We don't have the right. That's grace. We have grace. You have grace. So we can't kill a brother. So that's what judgment is. We know that what? There was a brother who was caught carrying sticks on the Sabbath. And what happened? He was killed. He was killed before the whole congregation. Before the people. See? So this is what this is where they'll go. They'll pull this scripture and make you believe this is saying <laughs> they can celebrate holidays, Christmas, Easter, and all the other pagan days, Thanksgiving. When this isn't talking about that. See that, brothers and sisters? So we'll go there first because I can assure you, 99% they're gonna take you there. Why? Because this is how they were taught. You see? When you go to these theologian seminary colleges, they're only taught to go one way. We know. That's why we're prepping you, brothers and sisters. Let us show you. Let us show you, brothers and sisters, that even after Christ, the disciples were celebrating holy days. Okay? Because there's no way around that. If you're following Christ, if you're following the disciples, right, then you should do what Christ did or what the disciples did. Am I right? We're going to prove today that just because Christ died did not mean we didn't have to celebrate the holy days. Okay? Because they'll have you believe you only need to do that in the Old Testament, brother. That's the old covenant. Holy days is the old covenant. Is it? Is it, brother? That's it. 
Let's go to Acts. Let's go to Acts, brothers and sisters. Now, we know Acts is after the resurrection, right? Okay. We purposely went to Acts because why? This is after he died and risen. So we're going to find out. We're going to find out, brothers and sisters. We're at Acts, the second chapter, the first verse. Acts 2 and 1 reads, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, this is the same scripture we went to for what, brothers and sisters? For the speaking of tongues. Remember, this was the when the Holy Spirit fell, fell down on these brothers and they all started understanding different languages. Now, brothers and sisters, if they weren't all together on one accord in one place, the Holy Spirit would have never fell on these brothers. They would have never received the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's showing you, number one, that's how important holy days are. Because why? The Most High bless on holy days. <laughs> See, being under a monolithic ideology, a monolithic understanding, right? The Most High love unity. These brothers were all in one place at the same time for the same reason. Now, this is after Christ. <laughs> See, this is after Christ. So I say, Pastor, well, what is this? What is Pentecost doing right here? What is Paul and all these other brothers doing together celebrating a holy day after Christ? So the question is, Christians, do you celebrate Pentecost, also known as first fruits? Hmm? Let's read it again. Acts 2 and 1 reads, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it sat upon them. Verse 4 reads, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So brothers and sisters, take a look at that. The gift of the Holy Ghost was on a holy day. <laughs> see? You see that? Now, guess what? If these brothers weren't celebrating holy days, they would have never received this gift. See? So while Christians, you know, they want to sit there and bloviate and, and, and just, you know, excessively about the gift of the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues, they'll try to leave out when this actually happened, where this actually happened, what was going on. Is Pentecost a holy day? Yes, it is. When you look at Leviticus 23, which the whole chapter is holy days, Leviticus 23 tells you first fruits. 49 days or 50 days after the Passover is first fruits, also known as Pentecost. Pente means 50. Okay? Do you see that? So these brothers were gathered because of what? A holy day. And all of these brothers became filled with the Holy Ghost. See, that's one right there. That's strike one. That they're celebrating holy days in the New Testament, Pastor. Okay, what's this? Let's go to Romans. See, we're going to stay in the New Testament here. Because why? I know how Christians like to... I, like, I know how Christians try to do. They try to slither around. 
They try to slither around. See, the thing about Christians is when you take them to one scripture, they'll try to take you to another scripture. I'm like, well, hold on, brother. Let's deal with this one. <laughs> right. The Christians are the only people I know who will use the Bible to say you don't have to follow the Bible. <laughs> the only people I know who would do that. And these are usually black Christians. They'll use the Bible like that. Let's go to Romans 13 and 11. Romans 13 and 11 reads, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Brothers and sisters, he said it's high time. That means Paul understood the time. He's telling you that the coming of Christ is closer than we imagine, brothers and sisters. Okay, let me read that again. Romans 13 and 11 reads, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Brothers and sisters, it's, a time, it's time to wake up. It's time because why? We're getting closer and closer. You see that, brothers and sisters? The coming of Christ is closer than we imagine. See? So Paul understood time. I understand time through the spirit of, of the Most High. And we're going to make sure our people understand it also. What we have to show you is that holy days were established during creation. Okay? You see this? So it doesn't have anything to do with the Old Testament, okay? The holy days are from God. And in fact, we'll be celebrating these holy days in the kingdom. Let's prove that. Let's prove that, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Zechariah. Let's prove that when Christ comes back, we'll be celebrating holy days. We won't be celebrating Christmas. We won't be celebrating Easter. We won't be celebrating Thanksgiving. <clears throat> I'm here at Zechariah, the 14th chapter, the 16th verse, and it reads, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whosoever will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. What is this saying? It's saying that when Christ come back, all nations, all races, including the white man, will travel to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Bible tell you any race of people who choose not to celebrate this holy day, this particular holy day, he's going to make sure it doesn't rain. Famine. Dead crops. Dead trees, dead grass. See that? This is prophetic. This is a prophecy because this hasn't happened yet. How do we know? Christ is not in Jerusalem right now. See that? So what is this, Pastor? Why are we celebrating holy days when Christ comes back? And in fact, he's compelling you to celebrate it by telling you what? Telling you that, listen... If any nation tries to ignore or neglect my holy days, there will be severe repercussion. Famine. See that? 
You see that? So while you're saying it's done away with, the Bible is saying you better start doing it now because you're going to be doing it in the kingdom if you make it. If you make it to the kingdom, you'll be celebrating holy days. I'm going to read it again. Zechariah 14 and 16 reads, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. You see that? So there's a punishment for not keeping the holy day. Feast of tabernacles is a holy day that you can find in Leviticus 23. You see that, brothers and sisters? Let us show you. We're going to show you because I know Christians don't know where the holy days are. We're going to help you out, brothers and sisters. You're going to go to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23 has 99% of the holy days. I'm going to read this for you. Uh, Leviticus 23 and 1 reads, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them concerning the feast of the Lord. Concerning the feast of the Lord, concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Even these are my feast. Brothers and sisters, he's telling you that what comes what comes subsequent to this particular text are God's feast. See, these aren't feasts of Israel. These are God's feasts. So Gentiles should serve these also. And in fact, the Gentiles who we've baptized into our church, they celebrate these holy days because these are not Israelite holy days. OK, these are the feast of God. I'm going to read that again. Leviticus 23 and 2 reads, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy gatherings or convocations. Even these are my feast. You see that? Feast of the Lord, holy convocation is a holy gathering, brothers and sisters. So we went here to show you that these feasts, when you read Leviticus 23, are feasts of God. Okay? In fact, let us show you some punishment. Let us show you punishment. Leviticus 23 and 27. Look at the punishment for not, not observing one of these holy days. Leviticus 23 and 27 reads... Also on the 10th day of this seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So on this particular day, in verse 27, it's called the day of atonement, where all of the children of Israel are to fast for 24 hours to show the Most High our our contrition as it pertains to our forgiveness for the sins of the last year. So this was a corporate fast. All of the children of Israel would fast on the Day of Atonement. We do that every year. 
Look at verse 28. Verse 28 reads, And ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make an atonement for you before the Lord thy God. Verse 29 reads, For whatsoever so it be that shall not afflict in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, that same soul will I destroy from amongst his people. Mm. You see that? Day of Atonement is the beginning of the harvest, brothers and sisters. Do you see that? See, and this is what the scripture meant when it said you can't judge a person based on meat in holy days in Sabbath. So if a brother have to work on this particular holy day, we can't cut the brother off. We can't cut the sister off. See, that's what that particular text says, because the judgments was you were you were um, you were cut off. See, if you didn't fast for 24 hours, you were cut off. See. So we're showing you how to read the Bible, how to understand the Bible. See, go to Hebrews 10 and 25, because to neglect these holy days would be malpractice, brothers and sisters. Go to Hebrews 10 and 25. Hebrews 10 and 25 reads, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So he tells us to what? Not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together, brothers and sisters. See? This is willful sin. Not attending would be willful sin. Now, now listen, brothers and sisters. If you're in a place where we don't have a church there, then what you would need to do is you would need to observe these feasts, um, you know, with your family. You know, if you have kids or whatever the case is, sister or brother, then you would you would pull up the scriptures for whatever particular day it is. And we'll help you out with that. And you would say, son, daughter, this is why we're doing this. OK, this is during this time. This is what happened during that time. OK, because all of these holy days have significance to our people. All right. We know the Passover is the day that Christ died. All right was crucified. But we know the Passover in the Old Testament was what? When the death angel passed over our houses because of the blood. See, all the holy days have significance. Okay? So we're just showing you that he's telling you not to forsake the assembly. So if there's an assembly, you need to attend it. Okay? Let us show you. Let's show you that Christ celebrated holy days. See, I don't think Christians know this. You take them here. You take that pastor here, brothers and sisters. Go to Luke 2 and 40. New Testament. Luke, the second chapter, the 40th and the 41st verse, and it reads, And the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast 
of the Passover. And his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Verse 42 reads, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem and after the custom of the feast. <laughs> Verse 42 reads, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Christ grew up celebrating the holy day and did so even into his adulthood. See that? So don't give us this. That was Old Testament garbage. Christ was celebrating the Passover. You're a Christian, right? Doesn't that mean you follow Christ? Doesn't that mean you're supposed to do what Christ did? Isn't that what that means? Christ celebrated the Passover. You see that? Go to John 7 and 2. Because we're just going to pull out scriptures to show you that the disciples in Christ celebrated holy days. Okay? So it, be, it would behoove you to do what? To emulate what you see Christ doing in the text. We're at John, the seventh chapter, the first and second verse. And it reads, After these things, Christ walked in Galilee. For he would not walk in jewelry because the Jews sought to kill him. Verse 2 reads, Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore saith unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. Verse 4 reads, For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. So what's going on here, brothers and sisters? All the Jews have come to Jerusalem for tabernacles. Remember, we just read in tabernacles that if you didn't come there during Christ's second coming, he would withhold rain, the Feast of Tabernacles. Christ was in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles. See that? Let me read it again. John 7 and 1 reads, After these things, Christ walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in jewelry, because the Jews sought to kill him. And verse 2 reads, Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. And his brethren therefore saith unto him, Depart hence and go to Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. So what's going on here? So they're trying to they're trying to convince Christ to go walk through Jerusalem or walk through Judea, right? Where Jews, where people were trying to kill him at. So he said, Listen, I'm going through Galilee. <laughs> okay. I'm going through Galilee. But when you jump down, brothers and sisters, and you read 13 on, he goes to the synagogue, stands before them, and says, Listen, <laughs> listen, any man who thirsts. Any man who's thirsty, come to me. You see that, brothers and sisters? So Christ, in this whole chapter, in this whole chapter, he's at a feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. Let me prove that. Jump to verse 37. John 7 and 37 reads, In the last day, the great day of the feast, Christ stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst." Let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers 
of living water. Mm. See that? It tells you Christ stood up on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Why? What does the last day mean? Brothers and sisters, the Feast of Tabernacles is an eight-day feast. Where we're commanded to go out into the wilderness uh, and camp. Right? To camp, to, to remind us of what our forefathers went through in the wilderness. Now, all of us can't do it for seven days. But if you could do it for three days, do it for three days. And if you just can't get out there at all, then still keep the feast. Okay? On the first day and the last day of the feast, you have a feast. Okay? We're just showing you that John 7 and 37 says that Christ was in the synagogue on the holy day. I'm going to read it again. John 7 and 37 reads, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Christ stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, if any man thirst, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Verse 38 reads, he that believeth on me, as the scriptures have said. He that believeth on me, as the scripture have said. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Christ said you have to believe on him as the scripture have said. The scripture didn't say celebrate Christmas. The scripture didn't say celebrate Easter. The scripture didn't say celebrate Thanksgiving. The scripture didn't say celebrate New Year's. You have to believe on him as the scripture have said. See? We do just that at this church, brothers and sisters. We do just that. If you're looking for a church home, uh, somewhere to learn, brothers and sisters, and you feel like you're being fed, you know, amongst our church, we would love to have you. We would love to have you. The Most High have put a fire in our belly to try to wake our people up. And the only way you can do that is verse 38. And it reads, he that believeth on me as the scripture have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You see that? When you believe on him as the scripture have said, it puts what? It puts the Holy Spirit in your belly. He <laughs> says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That means you wouldn't be able to stop. You would not be able to stop sharing the gospel. Why? Because you're believing on him as the scripture have said. See? So we know that the brothers and sisters who listen to this broadcast, they're going to tell their friends and family. Because why? When you believe on him as the scripture have said, something comes over you. Something comes over you. It's called the Holy Spirit. Right? Challenge your pastor. Challenge your, your Christian uh, family members. We want to show you, brothers and sisters. Here it was. He was celebrating what? Feast of Tabernacles. Further proof. Let's go to John 10 and 22. We're going to go through the New Testament and show you that the disciples and Christ celebrated holy days. All of them. John 10 and 22 reads, And it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of Dedication, and it was winter. And Christ walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and saith unto him, How long doest thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. And Christ saith unto them, I told you, and ye believe not. 
the works that I do, I do in my father's name. They bear witness of me. Mm. Brothers and sisters, it tells you that he was in the temple at the Feast of Dedication. See that? Feast of Dedication is also known as Hanukkah. And it tells you it's in the wintertime. That's in December, brothers and sisters. Hanukkah's in December. See, that's further proof. Christ celebrated Hanukkah or Feast of Dedication. And then it gives you a line of demarcation. It tells you what season it's in. Let me read that again. John 10 and 22 reads, And it was at Jerusalem the Feast of Dedication, and it was winter. And Christ walked in the temple, and Christ walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and saith unto him, How long doest thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Christ answered them, I told you, and you believed me not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. So Christ is saying, listen, don't believe what I say. Believe what I do. See that? You know a man by his fruit. And guess what? We're fruit inspectors. We're the fruit inspectors. Okay? Because what fruit do the Christians have? See? We come in to inspect fruit. Christ was doing what? In the temple on the holy day. How do you explain this off? Hmm? How do you explain this off, Pastor? Go to Matthew 26, brothers and sisters. Because we have to bring it all the way out. We have to show you the lie after lie after lie. We have to show you that they don't follow the Bible. The Bible is a prop. Okay? Christians, when is the last time you learned something new? Going to Christian church or listening to their sermons online or whatever. When was the last thing you learned that was new? Okay? Go to Matthew 26 and 1. Matthew 26 and 1 reads, And it came to pass, when Christ had finished all these sayings, he saith unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. You see that, brothers and sisters? Christ is doing what? He's pointing out the Passover. He's telling you, listen, the Passover is in two days. I'm going to be betrayed. Brothers and sisters, Christ was crucified on the Passover. See? So this was all strategic. Everything that transpired, brothers and sisters, was a plan from God. Nothing just happened, brothers and sisters. This wasn't just organic. This was structure, okay? This was planned, okay? This was no coincidence. Christ is telling the disciples, the Passover is two days away. I'm getting ready to be crucified. Why? Christ represented the lamb, brothers and sisters, from the Passover in the Old Testament, the blood that was smeared on the doors. The lamb of God. That's who Christ represented. See? And when he died on the Passover, Hebrews knew it was the Passover. So they thought back 
to that blood that was smeared over the over the doorpost. See, Christ is pointing out when the Passover is. See that? The Last Supper was his Passover dinner, brothers and sisters. A lot of people see Christians don't even know this. The Last Supper was his Passover dinner. <laughs> Christians really have to really have to get in this Bible. They don't even know the Last Supper. They don't even know communion was on the Passover. <laughs> see? See? Follow us to Luke 22 because I need to prove this. How many Christians knew that the Last Supper was at the Passover? It was actually the Passover dinner. Who knew that? Let's go to Luke 22, brothers and sisters. Let's go to Luke 22 and 14. <clears throat> Luke 22 and 14 reads, And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he saith unto them, With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Mm. Brothers and sisters. Communion came from the Passover, which is a holy day. Why haven't pastors taught you this, brothers and sisters, when you've been sitting up in church for years? When you've given thousands of tens of thousands of dollars in times and offerings? See, and that's the problem. That's the problem, brothers and sisters. Christians, the pastors are not there to educate you. They're there to make sure you don't find the truth. Why would they tell you about communion, but not that communion was on the Passover? <laughs> See, we're pulling the covers off today. We're going to pull the covers off today. Lie after lie after lie after lie. I'm going to read it again. Luke 22 and 14 reads, and when the hour was come, he sat down and he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he saith unto them with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. You see that, brothers and sisters? So I want to say this, you're no different from a heathen. If you don't celebrate holy days, according to God. Because we're supposed to be following Christ and Christ was celebrating these holy days. See, Christ was celebrating these holy days. See, so we're not going to let any man, black, white, Jew, Gentile, convince us to, to go against what we're seeing here in these scriptures. In fact, go to Colossians 2 and 8 because the Most High warned us. Warned us, brothers and sisters. Look at Colossians 2 and 8. Colossians 2 and 8 reads, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, 
Brothers and sisters, philosophy is a brother speaking with the Bible closed. See, I asked the pastor, what scripture is that, sir? I know you're a man of the cloth. I know there's got to be a scripture for what you're saying, right? <laughs> Let me read it again. Colossians 2 and 8 reads, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Brothers and sisters, what does it mean when something's spoiled? <laughs> it means it's no good. See? So he's telling you, you're no good when you allow them to philosophize. And guess what? When I was a young man, you know, they philosophized a lot of things. And I just went with it. Right? And we do the same thing today in church. Because why? He knows the he He wouldn't lie to me. He's a good man. He knows the Bible better than me. So if he say we can eat pork, I'm going to eat pork. If he can say, you know, we don't need to celebrate holy days, then we won't celebrate holy days. God is warning you. Colossians 2 and 8 reads, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Don't let any man spoil you through philosophy. Traditions of men. Easter is a tradition of man. Christmas is a tradition of man. It's not in the Bible. See? Go to 1 Thessalonians 5 and 21, brothers and sisters. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 21 reads, Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. See that? The Bible says prove all things. Not some things, all things. So if you're celebrating Christmas, you need to prove it out of the Bible while you're celebrating. If you're celebrating Easter, you need to prove it out of the Bible while you're celebrating it, pastor. Okay? If you're observing Sunday instead of Saturday or the Sabbath, you have to prove to me where that's at in the Bible, pastor. Because the Bible tells you prove all things and only hold fast to what's good. Everything else, let it go, sister. Everything else, let it go, brother. See, and this is, this is hard for the women because to take away Christmas, to take away Easter, sisters, that's when they get to be women. You know, that they get to cook, they get to decorate. And this is really, these were family days when I grew up. You went to grandma's house on Easter, on Christmas, on Thanksgiving. So really it's the nostalgia. That's what these holy days are for. You telling me that, you know, that turkey won't taste just as good on Passover? Or Feast of Dedication? Hmm? You're telling me th them green beans? Right? Them yams, them candy yams, wouldn't be as good on Hanukkah? Hmm? See? Go to John 8 and 32. Go to John 8 and 32. John 8 and 32 reads, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Brothers and sisters, truth is tied to freedom. Freedom is tied to truth. I'm trying to help take the shackles off through the spirit of the Most High. The Most High have put the spirit on me. Have taken me back mentally to when I had sh shackles on. 
and how much the truth have changed me forever. Brothers and sisters, allow us to take the shackles off. We're doing this because we love you. Because guess what? Whether you celebrate a holy day or not, I'm going to sleep well. Okay? Because I'm going to celebrate. So we don't benefit anything from you following God's holy days at all. <laughs> okay? We're not getting anything from you. And why did I bring this up? I brought this up because here it is. We're at October 25th, right? What's coming up? What's coming up? You have uh, Halloween, of course, which even Christians know that's wrong. But you also have what? You have Thanksgiving coming up. These are so you'll you'll disregard God's holy days and then you'll celebrate Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving ain't for us. Let us show you Thanksgiving is against God. We're going to prove to you that it was written of. What they did against our brothers, the Native American Indians, that was written up in the Bible. And here it is. We celebrate the slaughter of North American Indians on their own land, our brethren, our blood. Let us show you. Let's go to Genesis 49 and 18. This is why we don't celebrate Thanksgiving. It's pagan. It's celebrating the slaughter of our people. Look at Genesis 49 and 18. Excuse me, read verse 19, brothers and sisters. Genesis 49 and 19 reads, Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall be, but he shall overcome at the last. Brothers and sisters, the tribe of Gad are the North American Indians. It tells you a troop shall overcome the North American Indians. However, at the last, he'll overcome. What troop? Overcame the North American Indians. General Custer, right? A Calvary, right? The treaties of 1621. Remember that? Remember that? Brush up on your history. General Custer. See? The Calvary came against our brothers to overcome them. It was written, it was prophesied that the North American Indians were going to be subdued, they were going to be subjugated. By the Edomites, by the Europeans, for breaking God's laws. Let us show you. Remember the treaties, right? Go to Psalms 55 and 20. The treaties. Whatever happened to those treaties? Psalms 55 and 20. Take a look at this, brothers and sisters. This is in reference to how the Edomites or the Europeans, Christopher Columbus and all of them, how they operated against the Native Americans. Psalms 55 and 21 reads, excuse me, let's start at verse 20. Psalms 55 and 20 reads, He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. He hath broken his agreement. He hath broken his covenant or agreement. Listen to this again. Psalms 55 and 20 reads, God hath, excuse me, Psalms 55 and 20 reads, He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. 
he hath broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. Mm. You see that, brothers and sisters? It's telling you that he fought against people who had peace with him. He broke the treaties. He broke the covenants. And it tells you that his mouth was smooth as butter. They do the same thing today, the Europeans. They're very smooth talkers. Hey, it's okay. Listen, this land's for you and I. Everything's okay. Don't worry. See, that's part of their psychology. When hatred is in their heart. See, they're different from us. When we're angry, you know it. You can hear it in our voice. With them, you can never tell. You can never tell. They never let you know. I'm going to read it again because this is part of their psychology. Psalms 55 and 20 reads, He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. He hath broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. See, the Bible tells you his words, smooth as butter, soft as oil, but war is in his heart. He did these to, to our brethren, and then we'll celebrate it. We'll celebrate it. See, that's the problem with our people. We'll celebrate anything, <laughs> even the slaughter of our own people. What if the North American Indians said, you know what, let's have a, a National Slavery Day? <laughs> okay. We're going, to have, we're going to get together to remember slavery. How would you feel? Yet you'll do it to them. Why do you have to wait to Thanksgiving to have a turkey? Why? Spiritual. See? So that hurts. That hurts our brethren. And guess what? The white man is looking at that like fools. Celebrating your own destruction. These fools will celebrate anything. That's how they look at us, brothers and sisters. See? This is how they look at us. I'm going to go to Titus. We're getting ready to finish up here. Let's go to Titus. Titus 1 and 15. Take a look at this. Because this is why we get tricked time and time again. The Bible tells you we're naive. Our people are naive, right? And Satan understands that. We're here at Titus 1 and 15, and it reads, Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their minds and conscience is defiled. Brothers and sisters, the morally pure are always in constant danger of being drawn into false ideas masquerading as truth. This particular text says to the pure, all things are pure. So to us, we're like, why would they lie to us? <laughs> why would they lie to us? See, we're easily influenced, easily manipulated and deceived. They know this and so does God. Our people are too trusting. We're too trusting. They know this about us. Let me read it again. 
Titus 1 and 15 reads, Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. So look at that. It's telling you, when you're evil, you look for evil in everything. They look for evil in everything. They look to deceive and steal and rob every way possible. And we're not saying all white people. That's not what we're saying. We're talking about the government structure. Okay. We're talking about the structure of their government. Because that was government that came against the North American Indians. That wasn't just regular white people off the street. So let's make it clear. Okay. According to the text, if our trusting nature is directionless, it can result in manipulation. So an inability to make distinction between pure and impure could prove to be fatal. We're easily deceived. And we're going to show you that the Bible tells you they have been celebrating devils. These holy days are demonic. And we're going to prove that. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10 and 20. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, the 20th verse, and it reads, But I say unto thee, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils. And not unto God. And I would not that ye would have fellowship with devils. Brothers and sisters, look at that again. Because while you're just celebrating Christmas, while you're just celebrating having a family day with Easter, they're doing something else. Okay? They're worshiping the devil. Okay? While you think you're celebrating Christ's birth on Christmas, <laughs> the question is why are Satanists celebrating Christmas? If it's about Christ. <laughs> because they know it's not about Christ. They know that. So you can dress it up however you want to. Let me read that again. 1 Corinthians 10 and 20 reads. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice. They sacrifice to devils. Not to God. And I would not that ye had fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul teaches us that a lot of the practices of the Gentiles are in connection with demonic worship. See? And guess what? One of the practices involved in their idol worship was the offering of foods to gods or what we call idols. And guess what? The danger of food that has been offered to idols lies in its association with the source of all idolatry. The Bible is telling you that you think you're just having a good time, but they're sacrificing to demons on these days. Okay? Children are being murdered on these days. They're drinking blood on these days. Children are being molested on these days. While you think it's just Easter, while you think it's just Thanksgiving. To the pure, all things are pure. We're going to prove that though. We're going to prove that the Gentiles have always sacrificed foods to idols. Go to second address in your apographer. Go to your apographer here. Second address 16 and 68. I want you to examine this, brothers and sisters. Exodus 16 and 68 reads, For behold, the burning wrath 
of a great multitude is kindled over you. And they shall take away certain of you and feed you being idle with things offered unto idols. And they that consent unto them shall be had in derision and in reproach and trodden underfoot. Hmm. Brothers and sisters, this is an explicit warning to closely examine the meats that you're purchasing. If you don't know what halal meats are, brothers and sisters, halal meats are, they come from the Arab Emirates and different, um, different places over in the, the Middle East. It's called halal meat. Halal is the name of Satan. Lucifer is called halal in Hebrew, brothers and sisters. And halal meats are marked. They'll call it kosher meat, but it's not kosher. Okay, these animals had to be slaughtered. <laughs> okay, while a prayer to Allah was going going down, and they call these halal meats. You can find this in Safeway. You can find this in Shoppers. You can find this in um, uh, Costco. You can find this all over the place, brothers and sisters. Okay, you can find this in Winco. All these stores, brothers and sisters. You can find this in Giant, depending on where you're at. Halal meats. Look it up. H-A-L-A-L. Halal meats. They've been feeding us food sacrificed to idols. And guess what? Where I grew up, there's a lot of carryout, Chinese food carryouts. And you walk in there and there's a Buddha statue right there at the front door. Right? And you'll say, let me get four wings and fried rice. <laughs> Listen, if, if you ask them, brothers and sisters, nicely, you know, what's... What, this, what is this thing you have here? What is this idol-looking altar thing? They'll tell you, listen, we sacrifice our foods, you know, to Buddha before we open up. They'll tell you this. So, brothers and sisters, start paying attention when you go into these foreign, especially these Asian, uh, you know, establishments. Because you got to walk past five, six idols before you even get to the menu. When I see that, when I walk in and see a Buddha, I'm like, okay. Okay, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I'm not ordering food from devil worshippers. Remember, brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul specifically discusses the principle of food sacrificed to idols in his first epistle to the Corinthian church. And I want to say it's impossible for anyone to glorify God by eating what he knows has been offered to idols. We're showing you that the Gentiles have done this. God has given you insight. That they feed us with foods sacrificed to demons. Just like the hair that they've given our sisters. Sacrificed to demons and then sold. And then what happens? Our sisters, when they put that you know, on their head, a, a whole other spirit come on our sisters. I'm going to go to Revelations 2 and 19. We're almost done here. Revelations, the second chapter, the 19th verse. We're talking about food being offered to idols, right? This is, Christ was speaking to the church of Thyatira. We know there's seven churches. And in Revelations 2, he speaks to each one of his churches and says, this is what you've done right and this is what you've done wrong. Listen to this. Revelations 2 and 19 reads, I know thy works and charity and service and faith 
and thy patience and thy works and and last to be more than first. Verse 20 reads, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou suffereth that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now remember, we already discussed that women are not allowed to teach in a structured environment, not the Bible. This particular church allowed women to rule the church. Christ said, that ain't going to work. Listen to it again. Revelations 2 and 20 reads, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Is this spirit going on in your house? Is this spirit going on in your church? Is there women running the churches? Is there women running the holy days, the holidays, right? Well, listen, I know it's not Christmas, but listen, I know, you know, they beat up the Indians. Excuse me. They beat up the natives, but yeah, I know Easter's not real, but sister, sister, you got to put it down, sister. Because see, these holidays are pointed to, they're, they're aimed towards women and children. Men could care less about this garbage. It's, it's, it's sold to the sisters. See, they love the holidays and the children. See, it's aimed towards the women and children. Why? Because with the women and children, the man will have to succumb. See, whether he wants to do it or not, he will. Sister like, well, you think I'm going to let my child be the only one without Christmas gifts? <laughs> See? So Satan has weaponized our sisters against us. Why? Because man is not a leader anymore. So now women are leading us. And the Bible condemns that behavior. Let's go to Isaiah. We're going to read Isaiah 3 and 12. Isaiah 3 and 12 reads, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. I'm going to read that again. Isaiah 3 and 12 reads, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to error and destroy the way of thy paths. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is telling you, especially amongst black people, children are our oppressors and women rule over us. Why? Because the women are using the children to oppress the men in many different ways, saying, well, listen, we're doing Christmas for the kids. We're doing Easter egg hunt, which is has nothing to do with Christ, but we're doing it for the kids. And what happens? You make God angry. Because when did God say it was OK to worship the devil for kids? See, this is how women use the children to oppress the men. See, I've seen many a, a relationship, you know, um, fall apart over holidays. A brother come and learn with the church. He find out about the holidays. His wife is not, she doesn't really care, <laughs> you know, 
She thinks you're trying to take fun away from her, her child. This is what comes, brothers and sisters. This is what comes when you choose decisions in the flesh. When you choose relationships based on flesh. The Bible says that women rule over us and they cause us to err. And guess what? There was a judgment for that, sister. For our sisters not being submissive and refusing refusing to submit, there was a judgment. I'm going to read it. Isaiah 3 and 12 reads, excuse me, let's jump to verse 16. Isaiah 3 and 16 reads, Moreover, the Lord saith, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a tinkling with their feet. Therefore, the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion. And the Lord will discover their secret parts. Sisters, the Bible tells you that there's a reason why black women's hair don't grow like the other nations. The Most High put a curse on our sisters. He says that he's, he put a scab on our sister's head where it won't grow like the other nations. Why? Because of their lack of submission. For their arrogance, for their haughty attitude. For the pride. I'm going to read it again. Because see, our sisters always knew they were missing something. Before this curse, our sisters were not only voluptuous, but they had hair to the floor. See? I'm going to read it again. Isaiah 3 and 16 reads, Moreover, the Lord saith, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a tinkling with their feet. Therefore, the Lord will smite with the scab, the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion. And the Lord will discover their secret parts. What does it mean that the Lord will discover their secret parts? During this time, our sister's hair was so long, it, it covered their shape. Because you know, our sisters are very curvy, right? And the hair was down to the ground, so it, it covered the buttocks, Right? So you couldn't really see all that. So God is saying, I'm going to make your hair short, sister. And your body is going to be, you know, is going to be visible now. Okay. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 reads, In that day the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet and their calls and their round tires like the moon. Brothers and sisters, our sisters would wear like anklets with bells on them. So they would mince. You know, mincing is like one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. This is how sisters walk, right? Switching. That's what it's talking about. Now, this was before you had uh, high heels. This is where high heels came from. This is where the idea came from, is that when high heels, when a sister's walking on a hard floor, you can hear it. clack, 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 clack. So you can hear a sister walking up. And guess what? A brother knows that sound. That sound calls for a man's attention. When he hears that sound, he looks. Because it's hard not to look when you hear sound. And see, sisters were doing this. But they were doing it with bells on their, on their ankles. So you would hear ting, tingling, tingling, tingling when a sister was walking up to, to garner attention. See that? There's nothing godly about high heels. High heels are the devil's shoes brothers and sisters, in my opinion. 
Because why? There's a sexual connotation on high heels. Okay? When sisters put on high heels, it makes their rump look different. It makes their figure look different. It makes their chest look different. And sisters, don't you dare, don't you dare lie about that. Because you know, sisters know, don't you dare. It's sexual. Now, there's no scripture that said you can't do it. So I want to be clear. I'm not going to, I can't impose, but I know that it, it, there's nothing modest about it, sister. Okay. I just wanted to show you, brothers and sisters, that the sisters controlling, dominating the men have led to what? Not only error amongst our nation. But our sisters have been cursed with a scab on their head where their head won't grow like the Mexican women or like the white women or like the Dominican women. It did at one time, but it doesn't now because why? We're under a curse for a lack of submission. Now, guess what, sisters? The Bible tell you that curse can be reversed. You have to submit. Okay? You have to become more feminine. You have to be a woman again. Okay? Because what was going on during this time, the women, our women were so fine that they didn't listen to the man at all because they're like, I'm fine. <laughs> okay. So when they thought they were fine, they took the man's authority and they're like, listen, this is what it's going to be. God was not having that. So he took what he knew they cared about most. Now, sisters and brothers in our community, we have an infatuation with hair, even the brothers. We have an infatuation with hair. We never knew why. The Bible is telling you that our sisters focus too much on their hair. And even still today, when our sisters get their hair done, you can't even touch their hair. They walk different. They talk different. They act different. That's why God took it away, sister. That's why God took it away. But guess what? If you come back to being a righteous, virtuous daughter of Zion, an actual delicate flower, a submissive woman, God will allow, will take that curse off and the hair will grow. Okay? The hair will grow. And we're not talking about sisters with like alopecia and different things like that. We understand that. We're just talking about in general, our sister's hair doesn't grow like the other nations. And guess what? The Asians know that. Why do you think they're selling the hair? They know the curse you're under, sister. They know. They know these scriptures and they said, you know what? We're going to exploit her vulnerability. When you go into these beauty supply shops, who is it aimed towards? The whole shop is aimed towards the black woman. See, so they wanted to exploit you, sister, based on this curse. See, we perish for a lack of knowledge. They know who you are, sister. They know nobody, nobody spend more money on their hair or time on their hair than black women. No one. And the Koreans knew it. They knew that we were under a curse and they knew why. So that's why Satan has continued to push this independence feminist movement for our sisters. Sister, that's not for us. That's for white women. Okay. That's not for you, sister, because this is what it led to. This is what it has led to. Jump to verse 24. 
Isaiah, thir- uh, excuse me, Isaiah 3 and 24 reads, And it shall come to pass that instead of sweet smell, there shall be stink. And instead of a girdle, a rent. And instead of well-set hair, baldness. You see that? So he's telling you, because of your behavior, ladies, when you deal with your flowers, your monthly, it's not going to smell like it used to. It's going to have a stench to it now. That was part of the curse. And it says, instead of a girdle, a rent, our sisters didn't have to work out. Their body just stayed pop, pop, tight. That was God. Remember, Sarah was <laughs> upwards 70, 80 years old, <laughs> over 70 years old. And Abraham felt the need to have to lie about who she was. Remember the king? The king was interested in Sarah. She was over 70 years old. <laughs> Our women look good even when they're older. We got the genes. But we're showing you that what? God said now you're gonna have to you're gonna have to work out to stay in shape. Before you had the long flowing hair, you had the body, you had everything. God gave you everything, sister. God gave you everything. He said, you know what? I know how to get you. I know how to get you. I'm gonna take the hair. And I'm going to make sure your shape, you have to, I have to actually like, you know, work out in different things like that. Because our sisters didn't have to do none of that. Okay? None of that. Our sisters didn't have to do none of that. Okay? It looked like they had a girdle on. It looked like they had those, you know, I, I can't remember what it's called. But a few years ago, they had those things that like keep your stomach in or whatever the case is. Our sisters had, had that naturally. They had that naturally. And guess what? It can go back there. See, and that insecurity, that vulnerability have caused us to become more promiscuous. Because our sisters say they see the other nations with their hair. They said, you know what? We got the body. We got the body. You may have the hair, but we got the body. And we're going to make sure we flaunt that. And we're going to get the hair. See, this is what happened. They were seeing the white women, the pale, skinny white women, you know, with no figure at all, but the hair. And our sister said, you know what? The only way we can compete is I need to show my behind. I need to show my shape, my figure, because God blessed our sisters to be beautifully shaped above all people, above all. And our sisters think, you know, or thought the only way to compete. Because see, women think they're in competition for some reason. I'm not sure why. Men are not in competition with each other, <laughs> not like sisters. Sisters are always in competition with each other. We're showing you there's a way out, sister. There is a way out. Cover your head, sister. Cover your head. That's number one when you're reading the Bible, when you're praying to the Most High. Why? Because that shows him that your hair is not number one to you. It's not that important to you. To where you're unwilling to even cover it. Because since you're unwilling to cover it, the Bible says you should be shaven. Why? Because the hair has become an idol amongst our sisters. Okay? And I'm going to put it out there. The hair has become an idol. Idolatry. So we wanted to do what? We wanted to pull out the truth. Today. Right? We dealt with a lot of topics. We pulled out things that you could compare 
to your church and say, does my church do this? Did my church teach me that? See? Very easy things. Because why? The Bible says you shall know by the fruit. Brothers and sisters, we showed you the fruit of the Bible. Does it match the fruit of your Christian church? I think not. So brothers and sisters, I encourage you to to internalize what you learned today. Internalize it. Pray on it. Study it. And take it to your pastors. Take it to whoever the the well-known scholars are. The biblical scholars, whether that's cousins, mothers, fathers, and you confront them with the truth. And let's see how good they know the Bible. Because what you'll discover, brothers and sisters, is Christians don't follow the Bible. They just use the name to make you believe they followed the Bible. Brothers and sisters, I need you to write down those scriptures that you learned today, brothers and sisters. I need you to internalize and pray on those scriptures. It's time. It's high time to wake out of sleep. It's high time to wake out of sleep, brothers and sisters. Now, we talked about the holy days today. If you need... Um, if you need us to tell you when the holy days are, uh, the upcoming holy days and for the next year and the year after that, give us an email, uh, commandment keepers, the number one, the number eight at hotmail.com. Now you probably, a lot of y'all probably thinking like, Sid, brother Sid, we've been, we've been emailing you. (laughs) I, I understand our email address was commandeered by hotmail for months. Brothers and sisters, uh, we were blocked. We weren't able to access it. Um, so why we are going to get back to you uh we are going to get back to you brothers and sisters um just bear with us we have a lot of emails um you know we're a little behind um in that regard because we were blocked out the devil tried to it woke me up i'll say that brothers and sisters it woke me up to know that we cannot simply rely on them and their applications and their technology because at some time they're going to shut it down brothers and sisters but give us an email. We'll make sure that you get the calendar. We'll get you the dates. Um, you know, within the week, uh, within 10 days, we'll get, get that for you. Um, and we'll discuss it, brothers and sisters. If you want to learn more about the Holy Days, you go to Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, and you read that. Okay, brothers and sisters? And email us. Email us if you need the calendar, and we will send you the dates, brothers and sisters. The title of today's lesson, The Infiltration of the Church. We want to say, Kwam Yasharala, sin no more.